Hi guys, welcome to Dead by Tomorrow Interviews. My name is Daniel Winter and my co-host is Andrew Monroe. As we explore different topics that are worth thinking about today, we want to bring in guests to share their own unique perspective. We hope you enjoy hearing from our guests as much as we enjoy talking to them. Hi guys, and welcome back to Dead by Tomorrow. If you are a longtime listener, you're not crazy. Andrew's voice has not changed. This is actually Daniel doing our introduction and kickoff this time around. So our guest today is none other than Susie Winter, who is a 17-year middle school English teaching veteran, has actually been teaching a little bit longer than that, lives in Amarillo, Texas at the moment, and has really just lived a lot more life than Andrew or I, or really any of our other guests so far. Also, she's my mom. Maybe I should have started with that. So Susie, aka Mom, welcome to the podcast. Hey guys, thanks for having me. And I guess that was a nice way of saying I'm old, maybe. But uh, <laughs> I didn't say it. Yeah, okay. he really slid that in there on you. <laughs> I, I, I am not totally surprised at all. So didn't take you, what, 30 seconds? Three? Yeah, 30 seconds is, is generous. Mom, I'm, I'm just going to use mom for the rest of this episode because it's too weird for me to say Susie. Andrew, you can say mom too if you want. I, I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> now we're all going to be confused. <laughs> <laughs> but you've been, you've been shouted out on this podcast once or twice because we know that you're probably our most avid listener. You've also been shouted out once or twice on the You Can Mentor podcast that Beth will sometimes host. Mm-hmm. But for those that, that don't know you and have not known you for literally three decades at this point. Just tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about who you are besides being my mom, some of some of the things that you're passionate about and, and what you've been up to lately. Well, besides being Daniel's mom, I'm also mom to uh, Beth and Christy, but also mother-in-law to Doug and Hillary and grandma to the cutest granddaughter in the whole world. Just a little biased with that. Married to Kent 36 years, which seems like not that long. Until I see his, you know, pictures, and I'm like, gosh, what happened to us? But um, yeah, been a middle school teacher, like Daniel said, 16, 17 years. And I know where he's going with longer than that, of how I started into teaching to begin with. But uh, I would say 16 out of the 17 years, I've been the pre-AP English teacher because I like that level of questioning and kids and, I don't know, they're just fun. And I dabble in writing and do a blog and written for different magazines over the years and stuff. And this fall, let's see, I had a decision to make with this pandemic stuff going on that we've all been going through forever, 2020 dumpster fire type deal. I was just not comfortable going back into the classroom because I knew it would possibly be like, I knew my health issues, my husband has health issues, nothing serious, but we're in that category of high risk category, I guess is what you call it. And I thought, well, I just don't have a piece. Prayed about it, resigned, which was probably, well, definitely the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And within four, five hours, packed up my classroom, moved it all home, and sat there and looked at it and cried for days, thinking, well, great, now what do I do? I had a piece about what I did. I have no doubt that was the right thing to do. I have no doubt I would have put myself at risk and everybody else in my family. I'm not one to sit around and get all mopey and cry about things forever. 
I decided, okay, chance to start over. What do I want to do? Wrote out a list of what I like about teaching or different job opportunities I could do. And I knew I needed something where I could influence other people. I could be a mentor. I like learning new software and skills. I like writing. And I always wanted to work in a college type situation, like a writing lab. And just started looking on online job sites for different things. And some things really did not excite me at all. I'm like, that's going to be boring. I'll be bored out of my mind. No way I'll do that. And online tutoring presented itself. It seemed like that seemed to be taken off with the pandemic and kids being home and remote learning. And from what I'm getting messages, my kids just not getting it. There's a disconnect. They just don't know what to do. They're struggling. So that's the majority of what I've been doing. And I work with college kids. So there's one kind of bucket list thing taken off for me which has been fun. Kids from all over the U.S., Boston, California, you name it, everywhere in between. So that's been fun, helping them with revising their essays and things like that. And before that really started taking off, I think about August, September, I thought, well, I'm home. I haven't written anything in a little while, so I'll write about this experience of resigning my job and wondering, now what do I do with myself? And so I wrote it, sent off to many, many magazines, had three reply, they wanted to print it. And uh, something else I've always wanted, and it's, I don't want this to sound egotistical, but I thought it'd be really cool to write for something beyond Amarillo, something on a bigger scale. And these three magazines are nationally known. Uh, two are Christian women magazines, and the other one is an educator magazine called The Educator's Room. And they published my piece, and the Educator Room asked me to come on board as a contributing writer in the editorial team. So I write pieces two or three a month and about educational reform, how to treat your teachers, encouraging pieces and things like that. So that's what I've been doing since resigning and pandemic. And like I said, I don't regret doing that at all. I feel I was thinking about this the other day. If I hadn't had that happen, I would not have been able to very easily had the chance come October and help take care of Daniel and his new family, like moms usually do when new babies are born. And then October, my husband had a medical emergency thing with a, he's too old to have this, but he had a appendicitis attack where he had to have his appendix removed. And that normally happens at your age or younger, but no, he decided that's what he would have. And I was able to take care of him through all of that, which was really, really weird. I'm sitting there thinking, great, I resigned to take care of my family in the midst of a pandemic and you go into a hospital where there's COVID everywhere. But we survived. It was all fine. But bottom line, it was all really a little scary to do, but it was really bottom line, the right thing to do. Well, that's pretty cool. So obviously it was the right choice for you to make in hindsight, but what was it like making that kind of what would be considered a late career career change. You took something that I'm not horribly educated on the education system, but my understanding is one of the big benefits of working in the jobs that you did pre-resignation is the retirement plan. So you essentially threw away the retirement plan by resigning and a lot of safety and security and took a risk on something that turned out to be good. But what is that like before you actually do it? We weighed all that as well, and that's what made it really, really scary. But I also knew it wasn't long-term. 
because I knew I wouldn't stay home forever. I'm not, I'm just not wired that way. I didn't know at the time. I thought maybe I could do something else besides teaching. No idea what. Nothing else really excited me or made me think, oh yeah, great. I want to be a real estate agent. No, that sounded really boring. No way. And I didn't know if I'd ever get back into teaching, but about February, started praying about it because I knew pretty soon uh, schools around the area and everywhere, they kind of start looking at their staff and if they want to add new classes and staff changes and interview season was about to start. I was kind of like, okay, God, I don't know which way you want me to go. So I just have to trust you to do this. That night, a friend texted me and said, hey, this private school needs a writing teacher for sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Are you interested? I told my husband, I'm like, okay, I think that's the fastest I've ever had a prayer answered a couple of hours. And I'm, you know, texting back going, yes, send me all the information. And I start in the fall. So I'll be back on a different retirement plan. It's, that's okay. I still get it. I'll retire someday, 5,000 years from now. It'll work out. I'm not that worried about it. So you took just a little bit of a period of time to be at home while a whole lot of people are at home, but that's not exactly a process that is foreign to you because for a large chunk of time, whenever you know y'all first had kids, first had me, you were at home teaching mm-hmm. me, teaching Beth. Christy wasn't necessarily in grade school yet, but right, still teaching. And so there there was that time period where you were the stay-at-home mom doing the whole mm-hmm. homeschool thing. And so you've you've done that, then went back and taught, and then came back and were at home for a little while, empty nest, and now are going back to to teaching. And so as somebody who has flip-flopped between that several times, what are some of the pros? to staying at home and the cons of staying at home compared to pros being in the workforce and staying or and cons staying in the workforce specifically as a mom. Cause I think that's something a lot of moms are trying to figure out is do I stay at home or do I keep working? Yeah. Well, I really feel fortunate that we were able at the time to allow me to stay home because my husband, you know, your dad basically was in a job. <laughs> well, we're back Wait in this. Wait a second. 23 and me, Daniel, I need you to get one of those right away. <laughs> Kent, I'm, I'm sorry for what comes next. <laughs> no, I'm sitting there thinking, do I call him Kent? Do I call him dad? He's not Daniel's dad. I mean, he is Daniel's dad, but he's not Andrew's dad. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll pay for the 23 and me. This is taking a whole right turn. Well, test is on that's Andrew. That's <laughs> not what I expected. We learn things about people that we know in these podcasts, but holy goodness. crap, this is this is some drama. <laughs> I'm so excited. There's no doubt that yeah, anyway, they're too much alike to not be related. <laughs> anyway, I was fortunate enough to to be able to stay home with Ken's job with IBM and such, and I know a lot of families may or may not really have that option. And so I feel really blessed to have had that chance to do that. And it allowed me to take you guys to play group and church events and things like that, where you could be around other kids and things. And it gave me a chance to be around other stay-at-home moms because we're all in the same boat. Because in that time period, in the early 90s, it wasn't very common to have stay-at-home moms. It was kind of like, oh, that means you don't work. Yes, 
I do. Have you met my children? I'm working all the time with these guys. But anyway, it really allowed me to be there to train y'all up, teach you our morals and values and, and beliefs and such. And so to me, that was the pro side. And I guess the con side, I don't really know what a con side to being at home was. Well, I guess some of the con side might be that there were opportunities that you forego by being at home that you don't get that you would be in at work. Right. right? Yeah, maybe. But if it's on the social side, I had other moms that I hung out with two or three times a week and talked to the, each other on the phone and things like that. So that wasn't it. Now, maybe on the monetary side, that was a con, but that really didn't hurt us or affect us really until we all were older. And then Ken's job changed. We went into being a pastor and our income changed pretty significantly, I will say. Not the IBM job. Uh, paycheck anymore. So that kind of required me to go back into the workforce, which before I was thinking, well, what can I do? I've been a homeschool teacher since, let's see, well, I don't do the math. So you were third, four years old. It's okay. We don't do, we don't do math on the podcast. It's a, it's a hard role. (laughs) Several years, kindergarten through fifth grade is how long I homeschooled you. So I thought, well, that's one thing I can do and do pretty well. And when we put y'all in the public school, I, I was not one to stay home because it was boring all day, just myself. And so I thought, well, I'll try substitute teaching and start off doing that. And one of the principals at, well, it's actually your principal at Puckett gave me information to go get my certification to teach. And so that's how that all started. And I guess the pro side with that for me was working helped me gain a new level of independence and identity and I don't, I don't have a problem being the wife and the mom, but I knew those two roles can't be everything. I needed something that I felt good about myself. And so the teaching provided that, and I could be a totally different person in the classroom than I am at home. But the con side of that is I did miss out being the homeroom mom, coming to school events and things like that. But I did try and make it to all the basketball games and tennis tournaments that were at home instead of out of town. And whether you stay at home or work outside, you just have to make a connection. The most important thing is whether you're working outside the home or work or staying at home, maintaining a connection with your kids is the most important thing and your family. Don't let it sacrifice that. That's good advice. I need to probably take that to heart on my own end because I get a little too caught up with work sometimes. So you've become an English teacher. Uh, at some point when you decide that Daniel is most likely not going to kill himself fending for himself in the wild, which we're all surprised about, but it's okay. Because Daniel and I are obviously pretty big book nerds, and I'm sure you had a part to play in Daniel's life there. Is there anything from an English teacher's perspective that you're like, hey, this is the kind of book that I wish my kids would read that would make them like reading, or are you just like giving out to kids that you're teaching, or what is the English teacher's book recommendation list? <laughs> there are so many books, and there's really not a one-book-fits-all type thing. Everybody has their own likes and dislikes. For me, I've always loved historical fiction, and then I didn't really get into sci-fi type things until 
I guess when I got married, because Kent likes that genre, and I thought, well, I'll read that too, and got hooked into that. But um, there is one book that has turned every reluctant reader I've ever had into somebody who actually likes to read, because I like it when somebody comes to me when my kids say, well, I don't like to read, because it's like a challenge of, you can't make me like reading. I'm like, just wait. I'll get you. And uh, it's Is it the dead uh, by tomorrow. No, it wasn't written <laughs> wow, yet. That was an so. epic no. That was a hell no. <laughs> it's not yet. It'll be in my library this year. No, The Outsiders by S. C. Hinton. And I don't know if y'all got to read that. It's been around fifty something years. It's a classic. And every time I've had kids, they say, "Hey, I need to borrow the book over the weekend. I just need to read this one chapter." Then they come back and they're like, "Miss, what? I read the whole book. Am I in trouble?" Yes, horribly. Go sit down. But uh, not really. I just made him not give away the ending because it's really one of those books that grabs you from the very beginning. It's action. You have fights and good versus evil type situation. But um, that's one book I recommend to anybody who really doesn't think they like to read. And I have some a list of other books I've read lately. Here we go. Okay, let's see. Okay, it is called... Beneath a Scarlet Sunset by Mark Sullivan. Daniel actually gave me this book Christmas a couple of years ago, and I finished it in a weekend. That's how how good it is. And it's a historical fiction about, well, I think it's more biographical because, well, maybe it is historical. Anyway, it's one of these weird realistic fiction. I'll call it that. The character is true. He's based on a real guy named an Italian teenager who became a spy for the Allies and became a driver in the Nazi party group. And it's that story, and it's about to be made into a movie I read today with a Tom Holland in the lead, which I'm like, okay, I don't see him as this character, but I don't know. They didn't ask me. Can do no wrong in my book. So. Really? I don't know. This character just seemed, he's Italian. I don't see Tom Holland pulling off Italian, but. Oh, he, he can do anything. He's Spider-Man. <laughs> we'll see. As long as Tom Hanks is in it. He has been in every World War II movie, right? So maybe it'll be good. And he has and to be a movie. If, you, if you've never paid attention to that as a listener, just think about every Tom Hanks movie. And really? think about how he pees in almost every movie. No way. I don't believe you because you have been known to punk me on things like this before. <laughs> we, we Daniel, I watched it. 30 movies. <laughs> I didn't see him pee once. I'm, tell, I'm telling you, Castaway, he pees into the ocean. Forrest Gump, he, he's meeting the president and he has to go pee. Okay, I Green remember Mile, that. He, Green Mile, he, he has a problem with his bladder that the, the magic large black man is able to fix for him. Pay attention to it. It's in a lot of his movies. Okay. That's something I've never thought about noticing in a movie before, but okay. But back on books, A Refugee by Alan Kratz is good. It's also historic fiction. It takes, it's a book of four, three or four different characters who are all refugees from different time periods. So Nazi Germany, Cuba, and I think something in the Middle East, I want to say Somalia, but it has such a surprising ending. I'm going to have to read it again to see if I can see all the clues before the ending. Because when I got to the ending, I'm like, wait, no way. It's just one of those books. And then for fun sci-fi, Kent got me listening to this book called Tom Stranger, A Murder of Manatees. It's, and it's by Larry, I think it's Korea. I don't know how you say it. C-O-R-E-I-A. And it's an audible book. And Jane from Firefly is the one who narrates it. So 
it's just cheesy, corny type thing. So if you just want something light. And then I finished last night, Good Night, Good Morning by Lin-Manuel Miranda, which is to kind of little short, I would say inspirational nuggets to read. And that one's fun. And that one I would recommend. And of course, I'm going to recommend Dead by Tomorrow to people. I think I've given that away to some for presents and Leaf in a Pebble. Duh. So <laughs> Thank you for including me in this. <laughs> you're welcome. But it really the depends slips on are 10 bucks. <laughs> where I'm waiting. I don't see it. It'll be there. But as far as uh, gifting a book, you just have to know a person's likes and dislikes. You don't want to give them a book they will sit on their bookshelf forever. So anyway, and in the classroom. I've got a follow-up. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh. I was going to say, I've got a follow-up question for you on that book book that you're talking about, the uh, Beneath the Scarlet Sky. And I know you probably don't know much about Daniel's ex- exhibitions that he does whenever you're not looking, climbing specifically, things that he shouldn't. But yeah, that was one of my favorite things about that book was it reminded me of Daniel and I, uh, so to say, hiking where we get a little crazy was like half the book at the beginning was him doing all of his crazy stuff. hundred percent. I hope this would be me as a kid in Italy. Mm-hmm. But did that click at all with you? Or is that why Daniel might have recommended it or I don't know why he recommended it. it just he just gave it to me for christmas and i think i know he knows i've liked that genre before because that's something i think hillary and i both share but I didn't, I didn't even put that together about you guys and the climbing and the caving well i finished before i knew all that so oh <laughs> yeah before i heard that and and speaking of there's lots of things i've learned about my son through the podcast and in the book that i never knew and there's probably a reason i never knew because he'd probably grounded forever if i did well, good thing that he didn't tell you i guess <laughs> and good thing he didn't get hurt <laughs> that actually has been pretty lucky yeah yeah for sure. But yeah, shout out to that book. It's a great, uh, Beneath the Scarlet Sky is a great book. Like, I am not a historical fiction kind of person. And that was probably the gift, the, the book I gifted most last year was that one. Really? I probably gave out at three or four copies because I get, that's what I give as gifts as books. Mm-hmm. People get tired of, I don't get invited to many parties anymore, but it's cool. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to see who they cast. That's all I've seen so far is Tom Holland. That was just a little blurb I saw on it, but It'd just be interesting to see who the general is, who they pick as Mussolini and his wife, and I don't know. I don't have anybody in my head who I would pick off the top of my head to play, but it'll be interesting. As long That's the one problem when I read a book and then I see the movie, and they do such a horrible job. It just really, really disappoints me, so... Hey, I just finished Lord of the Rings like today, actually, on the way back from setting up the mic at your place. And I finished Fellowship and I was like, all right, I guess the movie is the exact same thing as the book. Nothing changed. It was practically verbatim. So shout out to Lord of the Rings for doing it. Yeah, because, well, this makes me think of a lesson I've always taught in class is to get them into imagery and see how the author does that with their writing. I take that clip from... Which one is it? Return of the King, where they're returning the ring in Mount Doom, I think is what it's called. And I play that scene where he's about to throw it into the fire, but they don't see it. They just hear it. And they have to write down everything they hear, the tone of the voice, the sound they hear in the background. And then I play it again. They have to write down everything they see, the fire, the expression on their faces. And especially, yeah, especially the faces when Frodo turns and he has that demonic look on his face. And then we... We read it, that excerpt from the from the book, and we discuss, okay, did Peter Jackson do a good job interpreting this and how it's uh, written in the book? And they're like, 
Yeah, he did. I said, yeah, it's the one time the book did the movie did the book justice. So yeah, there's your freebie pre P lesson. It is it is certainly certainly rare. But something I wanna circle a little bit back to is I know you love to to bring up the fact that there are probably stories you haven't heard. Although in reality, I I feel like I was a fairly open book about most things. If you asked, I'm happy to tell you. If you don't ask, that's that's on you. But Beth Christy and I are obviously very different. And so, mm-hmm. first of all, you could tell us which one is your favorite. I'd, I'd be totally okay with, <laughs> with hearing that and, and it being on the record. But if you don't want to go into that, that's fine. I would actually just like to actually hear what were some of the big differences in raising these you know, three different kids? What were some of the challenges? Because again, I am 30 now, so most of my friends have kids. Mm-hmm. A lot of our listeners are probably just now having their first one or two. And, and what is it like to you know, be a parent of multiple and, and see, see them grow up and have to change your styles? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to say who's my favorite because it is cliche, but we do love you guys all the same. But we but we don't treat you the same. That's a key. You are all very three unique kids. And Daniel, you are the true extrovert. I mean, look it up in the dictionary. Your picture's probably there. You were that way from the get-go. In fact, I think you were the child. I know you were the child that I had to apologize for within a couple of hours of you being born already. Because as soon as you came out, you peed and shot the nurse straight in the face. And I'm like, I'm so sorry about that. that I, didn't know that I didn't know that was a trait of extroverts. but Oh, it's not that. I, but you, I pee on everyone I meet. I also, <laughs> territory. Just, I'm, I'm amazed that we've already gotten into just talking about pee two separate times in the podcast. That's a first. Oh, that's true. Well, we do. Well, you are from a scatological family. I blame your, your late father. Your uh, Grand grand for that because he my father. Wait, my dad's dead. <laughs> all right, that is three different references. <laughs> Kent is not your father, Daniel. I don't care what she says next. <laughs> the attitude that says it all that's you can tell anyway. From the get go, Daniel was uh, pulling shenanigans, I will say. And the girls, they are your classic introvert type, except they could be an extrovert. If they were in control of the situations, how I say it, I think what made the difference in reality is we changed as parents as we got older and as you got older, things in our life changed. When Beth was born, we had changed churches from a traditional church to a non-denominational church where we found the playgroup of moms, embraced homeschooling, and that kind of started me on that journey. And with your first kid, you tend to be really anxious and nervous about everything. Oh no, the pacifier fell on the floor. We gotta go sterilize it for a minute and whatever. And time to third, it's kind of like, I'll just dip it in Coke. It'll be fine. And rinse it off. You relax a little more than more kids you have. But let me think. But you don't change. I don't feel like we changed our core of how we taught you. Our situations changed, which kind of made how we treated you a little bit differently, but not much. I would say, I guess we relaxed a little bit more and had more confidence. Time Christy came around, it's kind of like, oh yeah, this is what we do. It's no big deal. We're pros at it. But we had to treat you all a little bit differently. A lot of ways you three are very similar and being super competitive and you have some similar likes and dislikes, but there are some differences as well. 
I think one difference parents need to recognize and accept is if your first child is in all AP classes and your second and third or fourth or whatever, they're not quite ready for that. Don't force them. Well, so-and-so's in AP. You should. You all are going to be pre-AP no matter what. You're setting your kid up for failure for that, and it's going to backfire. And their school experience will just not be enjoyable at all. And if you, as a kid, were the star football player and your son has no interest in that, don't force them. That's not what they want to do. They will hate it. They'll end up resenting you. But if they want to be in choir or band or something, encourage them. So that's something we try to do as parents is encourage you guys to pursue things that interest you. And let me think, I think our job as a parent is to also raise them in faith, whatever your family believes in, raise them in that. And like your pastor said this morning in the baby dedication service, it's to also help your kids find their unique gifting and calling and encourage them in that journey as well. Because y'all have similar paths. You are all, the word's not coming to me. I want to say servants, but you are in places in your career and in social where you give out to others and help serve others. And that's something we try to instill of you guys. Something else that we, that I noticed was different with you guys in the homeschooling world was Daniel, you kind of wanted to absorb it all at one time. And he's the reason I got into this to begin with, because he got mad at me skipping pages when I would read to him. He says, just teach me to read mama. So I did. And uh, he, I remember one time, it was in a, we were going to take off for Christmas break, or I thought we should. And he's like, no, I want to keep doing my math. And he wanted to get a grade ahead. So I let him do that. And Beth, she needed her, her lessons presented in chunks because she saw the, the binder that I brought in to start first day of homeschool for her. And she was like, I can't read all that. I'm like, no, no, no. It's one page at a time. But it overwhelmed her thinking she had to read the whole book that day. And then Christy, we only did the pre-K stuff with her before we put her in school. And uh, she was a kid, and she's probably going to, well, hopefully she didn't get too mad. But as uh, we all know this, she would give <laughs> Dangerous. the, yeah, when um, you say, hey, Christy, what does a cow say? Well, it's supposed to say moo, but the one time she said meow for every animal in this really deep voice for a little what, 18 month old or however old she was. And we laughed. She thought, oh, I get a reaction. So she liked giving the wrong answers to things. But so it made me think, oh, she's going to be the class clown of the family. One of them ended up being Daniel. But anyway, her first day of kindergarten, she came home. Mommy, I don't like kindergarten. I'm like, why? She goes, I don't think my teacher knows anything. What do you mean? Well, she didn't teach me to read. All he did were, were these stupid games where he had to get to know people. So I'm like, hmm, okay. You wanted to learn things? She's yeah, that's what school's for. So, of course, she ended up doing that. And then something else that I hope we've done a good job at is the more kids you have, the more opportunity presents for you to find what connects, well, how parents can connect with their kid. To me, there's nothing worse to have children and not play with them, not find things you like doing together, because that's not why you have them. I hope that's not why. They are there for you to train, to mentor, 
and raise up to be responsible people and things, but, but also realize that you can find different things to connect with your kids. Like with Daniel, it's always been food, books, TV shows. He's the reason I became a Doctor Who fan. And with the girls, it's been shopping, cooking, movies, coffee runs. And then music's kind of been the thing that connected all of us together. Because I pretty much like 90% of what y'all listen to. I don't know. I feel like I have. And then I introduced you guys to oldies music, which... For a little while, you kind of like. I don't know if you do anymore, but I know Christy still does. But anyway, I feel like a rabbit trail there, which is not too uncommon. But yeah, I can't remember what else to say. <laughs> That's okay. That's It's your podcast episode. You get to rabbit trail where you want to. Unless Daniel and I come in with our hard right turns like we do. So speaking of hard right turns. Great. <laughs> well, so near the, you've launched into stories already. I'm going to officially open it up to you. Do you have any stories you want to share about Daniel, me, your other children, Daniel's real father, whoever that might be? <laughs> it's Kent. <I laughs> Anything promise. like that. Gosh, there are so many things I could say about Daniel, but don't want to totally embarrass him. But then his dad was saying, Kent, his dad was saying, this child does not embarrass easily because he's the one I would sing in the grocery store loudly at the top of his lungs and having a good time. I'm talking two years old in the grocery cart. I think one of the first things that came to my mind was, well, two things. One of the things I do at the beginning of the school year is I had this slideshow to introduce myself to the class and everything. I'm like, here I am. Here's what I like. Here's Here are my kids. And this one year, Daniel had his hair dyed bleach blonde. And these little girls start pointing and giggling. I stop. I said, what are you doing? Why are you laughing at my son? Messing with him. But they said, was he at the mall Saturday? I'm like, and I knew he had been. I'm like, yeah, why? We saw him. He was in an inflatable sumo wrestler suit and he was being chased all over the mall by a mall cop. And he got kicked out with his other guy in another sumo wrestling suit. I'm like, Yep, that's my son. That's one of the first things I thought about. And then thinking the record, about... I'm, I'm still upset with Westgate Mall for that because we <laughs> we were just wearing... It, it was I'm pretty sure it was me and Matt Scruggs were just wearing our, our sumo suits that we had, Halloween costume yeah. suits, and just going through the mall. And the, the mall cop came up and was like, hey, y'all have to leave. And I said why what what are we what are we doing wrong and he didn't really have an answer and he was just like i well you you can't be in here with that and i was like what what's what's wrong with what's going on and he shuffled away and got on his walkie-talkie and obviously asked somebody whoever it was, was telling us to leave and then he came back and he was just like well you just you have to leave you can't you can't be in <laughs> and i just remember being so upset that they kicked us out with with really no good reason. We weren't doing anything. We just wanted to walk through the mall with our nice air-conditioned sumo suits. Maybe they remembered the other time we were there completely dressed in black as ninjas. And they're like, yeah, we ain't doing that again. I remember that <laughs> we too. Know that, guy. that mall did not have a, a soft spot for teenage boys. But then again, who does? I don't like That's them anymore. True. They're jerks. <laughs> That's true. Let me think. Uh, well, speaking of how people react to you, it's 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 funny and ironic to me that over the years, I'd always run into Daniel's teachers at meetings and whatever, and, and Christy and Beth too, but the way they would respond would be totally different. When I meet Daniel's teachers, oh, you're Daniel's mom, kind of, and the narrowing of the eyes and 
arms across her, folder across her chest. And I'm like, well, what do he do to you? And he, well, he's just such a smart aleck and likes to, to mess around in class. And, and uh, I think one, I don't know who it was, but I just said, well, he might like you if he's doing that. Because I don't think he's that mean. I mean, I tried to defend you as best I could. But anytime it was the girl's teacher, oh, we just love Beth and Christy. So it's totally different. And I know there was one teacher, I think it was Coach Stewart at Crockett. Because I think I've told you this before, but you don't remember. Every day you'd go up and say, do you know the Muffin Man? And she got annoyed with you because it was, I don't know how long it was going on. But she told me one time, he just needs to quit. So I think I told you, you need, just need to quit saying that. So you made a t-shirt that had the question on it. And she read it and she was just looking at you like, really? And I don't know what you said. You probably smarted off to her then too. But later, about four, five, six years later, I had her son in seventh grade. And I'm like, oh, hey, how are you? And then he started revenge with me <laughs> because of you. And it wasn't malicious, just Every day, didn't matter what pair of shoes I had on. I could have on flip-flops. Hey, your shoe's untied. Like an idiot, I'd look down. I'm like, I need to say, huh, made you look every time. I did get him back. So, (laughs) but gosh. And now that you're a daddy with a little girl. I forgot about the man thing. You did? do you remember that? Because I completely forgot. I do. That's why I was laughing. That was one of those things I completely forgot about. (laughs) That went on for a year. Were you the other one? No, I never got. Pretty much everybody did that to somebody. Yeah, we, it was a thing. We could, we had stamina when it came to holding out a really dumb joke mm. or a bad idea. Well, you're typical. Endurance of champ. Yeah, you're typical middle school kids. And you're the reason, the way y'all act, which in my mind isn't bad at all, is the reason when people are trying to decide what grade level to teach. Because you have to decide, you just can't decide, well, I'm going to teach uh, kindergarten. You have to literally sign up and take a test that lets you teach certain grade levels. And when I told them I want to teach middle school, they're like, why? They're jerks. They're mean. They're immature. And nobody likes them. They smell funny and all these horrible reasons. I'm like, because of everything you just said, I they need somebody who will put up with them, who will teach them in spite of that, and who actually likes their sarcastic, snarky behavior. Because I give it right back to them every time. But uh, I think y'all broke me in for teaching middle school. And I was thinking about this. I have been surrounded. At one point in my life, I was surrounded by middle school children 24-7 for nine straight years. In some ways, could be terrifying if you think about it. But uh, I don't know. This made life a little interesting. The seventh level of hell or something like that? For some people, it would be. (laughs) Yeah, you and Kurt are saints. (laughs) Yeah. I like middle school. I I did pick it when I was doing the subbing thing, trying to decide what level to teach. I tried them all out and decided, okay, high school, they're just too full of themselves. I don't like them at all. And and I'm short. Dealing with people who are six foot and way bigger than me, I just did not. I just didn't like that. And little ones, they're fine, but they're almost a little bit too needy. But then again, middle school can be too at times. But having to help a first grader make sure their pants are zipped up. I'm like, no, I don't want to do this every day. And uh, I just like the conversation I've had with middle school kids because it's just, I don't know, it's just fun. And you can you can do all kinds of things with them that they will think is kind of cool or whatever and that you can do with high school and have a 
10 minute debate with the kid over if baby Yoda is going to be good or evil, that kind of stuff, but which has happened on occasion. All right. I'm going to slide something in real quick because, and, and this is cheating. I have, I have pre-knowledge here, full oh, disclaimer. No. So whenever I swung over earlier to help you set up the mic and computer, <laughs> you had, I was, you had your personality test pulled up. And so I'm going to steal Daniel's question and I'm going to throw this, maybe a softball, maybe not. You want to tell us a little bit about what you had and what you found out? Well, I know I didn't really get into knowing about any of this, honestly, until Beth started researching it. Because I think some of it was part of in her lessons and stuff at Tech. Because she's like into brain research and personality and things like that. And I didn't know anything about that really until she kind of mentioned it, if I'm remembering right. But I am an, an INFJ. And I always have to look that up because they figure out, okay, what does that even mean? But when I read the characteristics, I'm like, yeah, that's definitely me. The compassionate, intuitive, sensitive, helper, caring type person, which you have to be if you're going to be a teacher at times and a mom and, and grandma. But I'm also Enneagram 2 with a wing 3, which I think my family has known that forever. We just didn't have numbers to attach to it. But and it's weird. Our family, Daniel probably doesn't know this, but personality tests have been in the conversation and our family, well, our entire marriage, because your your granddad, grand granddad, he passed away when you were what, six or something like that, five or six. But uh, he did this personality study and they had numbers based on numbers too, but and I don't even remember what it was called now. But he said, they were talking about me, and they were saying, well, I think she's a 2. Well, no, I think she's a 10. I thought they were ranking me, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10. I'm like, hey, that's not nice. Your your grand-grand was labeling me a 2, and your dad was like a 10. I'm like, okay, I appreciate that, but why am I a 2? But it was a similar deal. And then we've also had, um, oh, what's it called? Gary Smalley, I think the guy's name. I can't remember the study that one's called, but they classify you by animals, like lions are your strong leader types, and then you have golden retrievers who are the super friendly, and then beavers are super highly organized, I think. And then otters, oh yeah, otters are the ones that like to have fun, and I've always been called the otter and stuff like that. But anyway, that's they all add up to being the same, whether it's Myers-Briggs or this other one, so I don't know. It doesn't really change how I do things, but it explains why I am the way I am and how I relate to everybody who is, I think, completely opposite of me. I think I'm the odd duck in the family. Yeah, I think the that can be some of the value in personality tests is just understanding a little bit of why you do some of the stuff you do and how you relate to others. Obviously, it's a personality test isn't something that writes in stone who you are and what you do, and that can change. But oh, it yeah. can definitely be a, be a useful tool. I think. Well, I feel like took it again. My personality might have changed even more because I know I'm not the same I was 36 years ago when we first married because I wasn't in any type of leadership or teaching type position. I was just a secretary going back to school, getting my bachelor's. So not really opportunity to exercise that gift, basically, or that side of my personality until much later. And then being a mom brought out a whole other layer of my personality that 
wasn't being used, but it had to be brought to the forefront in order to parent three very highly energetic kids. There was never a dull moment with you three, that's for sure. Because my challenge is, it goes back to when I was saying about stepping out and making a change, and even though it was hard, I had a little story connected to that. So one thing we like to ask our interviewees is if they have any sort of challenge that they want to pose to our, our millions of listeners. So this is your chance to influence at least a million people. Well, it's a little bit more than what I calculated how many kids I've taught over the years. For 17 years, probably 120 kids a year. So that's over a thousand. So it's a little bit more than what I'm used to. That's okay. That sounds like too much math. Yeah. Well, that's all you get. But shout out to you for being the tutor to help me in math when I had to take that to become a teacher. But anyway, you and your dad, I could not have survived it without you two. One thing that I'm, I always tell new teachers, I've had the chance to be a mentor to first year teachers or new teachers to a campus several times and had student teachers and such in my classroom, which I really enjoy doing. But I always tell them, if you ever get to the point in your career that you are just yelling at the kid, going off and yelling and screaming, we all hear you, we have to shut our door, then it's time to walk away. You are doing more harm than good, and it's just time to find another career. And I think that could apply to anybody. If you're, if what you're doing is not making you happy, you have no joy, you need to put a pen in it, research, find something else that makes you happy, because I think your legacy is at stake. That's the one thing, my takeaway with teaching. I know that they're not going to remember hardly anything of what I've taught them. That's why I'm seeing online tutoring. They still don't know how to punctuate a sentence correctly. I could beat myself up over the head for that. I know I edited your book, right? But anyway, but they always remember how I made them feel. I made them feel included. I connected with them in some way. And that's the legacy I want. That's what I want for my kids to remember you guys and how I made you feel, how I appreciate you and things like that. And my challenge is I am 58 when I did this big major career thing. And in my mind, it's really not that old. And I say that because my dad was uh, 52 when he drove a truck, a diesel truck, meaning he hauled oil and gas all over the country and stuff. And he retired. I was two years old when he did that. He retired and put all that money, which was a risk, and opened up a franchise, a transmission shop. And he did that at 52. And by 62, he had four or five more shops that he opened up. And that's a kind of a big risk when you have a kid who's two or three years old, that type of deal. So to me, making that risk, it wasn't that big a deal. So basically, my challenge is, if you're unhappy, need a change, and you think, well, I'm too old to do this, or it's going to be too hard, you don't know until you try. Make a list of what you like to do, what you feel like you'd be do uh, good at, and just take a step of faith and do it. The picture I get in my head is a Indiana Jones movie, which I don't know if y'all know this one or not, but Last Crusade, where Indiana had to walk across this chasm, and there wasn't a bridge or anything, but he heard his dad's voice saying, take a step of faith. So he takes a step, thinking he's going to fall to his death, and this bridge thingy shows up. That's what you have to do. Just take a step, 
don't be afraid. You're not going to know till you try it. So that's kind of my challenge. Don't be afraid to try something new. I think this 2020 kind of forced a lot of people to try that. Some it's been good. Some it's been not so good, but you you tried it. So that's my challenge. Just step out in faith and try something new. Leave a legacy because that's really what we're here for. I love it. And obviously very, very on theme with the idea behind Dead by Tomorrow is that we have a limited amount of opportunities to take those steps to you know, embrace those challenges. And, and really, we don't want to sink a whole lot of our time into something where we we do find that we are stuck, unhappy, and, and complacent. Well, thank you, Mom, for coming on and, and talking to us. I may have to go do a, a gene test now. That, that's fine. <laughs> I've, I've always wanted to do one anyway, so it's just an excuse. But really... Thank you, not just for coming on to the podcast, but for being somebody that just helped to support me and, and encourage me into being able to, you know, take this step with Andrew and and for editing our book and for being that person that really has always, always been incredibly supportive. So beyond just the podcast, there, there's a thing or two that I can can say thank you for. But for all of our, our listeners, definitely check out the magazines that my mom writes for. We'll, we'll get those in the show notes. And if you ever need any tutoring or, or if you're trying to write a book and, and want somebody that will give it a read and, and give you some commentary. Susie is is your person. So thank you guys for coming by and make sure that you you follow up on that challenge. You take that, that leap of faith. You try something new out. <laughs>